morning, Scottsdale Bible Church. I'm Daryl. That rhymes with barrel. A little bit known as Pastor Daryl the Barrel. It's good to be had. But I've lost 20 pounds. And I'll tell you. And it had nothing to do with self-control, which I will be sharing this morning. I am well aware that today is Palm Sunday. And I had a message for Palm Sunday all prepared, and it was good. <laughs> but about two weeks ago, I got a call from uh, Pastor Jamie saying, Daryl, I need you to do a special message for me. I said, sure, got the Palm Sunday message already. He goes, no, 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 I, I didn't really have a chance to finish the fruit of the Spirit, and I'd like you to go ahead and finish the series and be the anchor to it. I went, but the final one is self-control. What does that have to do with Palm Sunday? He says, I don't know, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> and so as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, riding upon the foal of a donkey, as foretold by the prophet Zechariah, in humble submission to his heavenly father, so I come to this pulpit in humble submission to the will of our pastor and will ride this pony home to the completion of the fruit of the Spirit. So, open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, and we will conclude the series of the fruit of the Spirit and how it relates to Palm Sunday, which I don't have a clue. Verses 22 and 23, Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, against such things, there, there is no law. There is no law. Paul concludes his list of these nine expressions of the fruit of the Spirit with, with self-control, probably the most difficult of all nine to understand. It's like bookends. He begins with the fruit of the Spirit, the expression of the Spirit of God in you, begins with love. And what love looks like is the others. But then how do you unlock this thing to happen? And he say he ends it with, well, it has everything to do with spirit-produced self-control. Now, I guess one could say that Jesus, as he was riding the young colt into the city, he, he could have changed it to a white stallion. Maybe that took a little self-control. I know what you're thinking. Daryl, would you stop trying to tie it to Palm Sunday and just get on with the study of the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, okay. Now, you remember what the fruit of the Spirit is, actually what it is. It's a description of Jesus Christ. You see, the fact is, is that the fruit of the Spirit is a description of what Jesus Christ is like, was like, and continues to be like. But nobody knows that unless they can see it in those who call themselves his disciples. Remember what Jesus promised those disciples, the very first ones? In John 14, he says, now, I know you guys are bummed out. Because I'm going to be arrested and crucified. I will rise on the third day, but those, those lugs don't believe it. But he basically says, don't be all depressed because it's good for me to leave. Because I will ask the Father and we, we will send to you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he'll not only come to be with you, but he will, get this, be within you. It was the promise of Jesus himself that he would place the Spirit of God Within us, when we came to Christ, when we owned up to our sinfulness, realized we needed forgiveness, 
Remember, you can't forgive somebody who doesn't think they've done anything wrong. And so that's why salvation begins with repentance. Owning up to the fact that there's something wrong with me. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And all of a sudden, God's provision of his own son on the cross for my forgiveness all of a sudden makes sense to me. But it doesn't stop there. Because then we're declared to be part of his family and then he places the spirit within us. It's the promise, the prophecy of Ezekiel 36. He says, I'll pull out that old heart of yours, the heart of stone, and I'll put a new heart. And he says, I will place my spirit within you and he He, the spirit within you, will cause you to have a deep heart desire to keep the commandments, the voice of your heavenly Father. But why is in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul actually refers to the spirit of God within us as the spirit of Christ? It's the spirit of God or it's the spirit of Christ within us? Well, again, in John 16, he says, I and the Father, we will make our abode within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. What a remarkable ministry. But he made it more clear in John 15. Remember when Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. But the vine's going to produce through the branches fruit. And this fruit is basically the manifestation of the vine itself, Jesus Christ. See, John makes it very clear in John chapter 15. When he says in verse 1, recording the words of Jesus, and we know these are the words of Jesus because they're in red. They've got to be the words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Then he says this in verse 8. By this is my father glorified. You know what that word means? Glorified. Doxadzo is the Greek word. It means made known. He says, by this my father is made known. Well, that's kind of interesting because his father's invisible. You you, you never touch God. You don't see him. You don't have these face-to-face chats. So how do you know what God is really like? You look at the universe, you see good things, but you see some things not so good. So how do you really know what God is like? Because God is invisible. God is spirit. But who's the visible image of the invisible God? The Son. Colossians 1.15. Who's the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form? The Son. Colossians 2.9. And here he says, here's how my Father is made known. Here's how he's glorified. How people see what an invisible God is like says, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, as my disciples, as you become more and more like my son, Jesus Christ, then you will be manifesting him. And as you manifest Jesus Christ, description of Jesus Christ, then everybody gets a good look at what God the father is like because his, his glory is seen through the son The vine, the sun, the branches, us bearing fruit. This is all about a description of Christ-likeness. Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, Now be imitators of God. Yeah, we'll do that Monday. What are you going to do Tuesday? The word imitator, mimites is the word, mimics. Be mimics of God. But like I said, how can you be mimics of somebody who's invisible? 
But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, all right, let me make it easy. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because if you imitate me as I imitate Christ, you will be glorifying your Father and may cause the world to be able to see what your heavenly Father is really like. This is basically the whole purpose of why we were saved. You, you, you know the popular verse of Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good. Now, usually we stop there and we say, yeah. See, God promises to work all things for everybody for good. So, no, no worries. You know, if God makes a promise, let's make sure we know to whom he's making the promise. Because here's a crazy idea. Finish the verse. For God works all things together for good to, the promises to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The promise is only given to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now that would bring up, I think, a very critical question that seems like nobody ever gets around to asking. What's the purpose? If all things work together to those of us who love God and are called according to his purpose, I would like to know what that purpose might be. And now here's a really crazy idea. Read the next pick and verse. Verse 29. And here he simply says this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. The big brother of many brethren. Well, why, why? Why is he going to be a big brother? Well, because when you came to Christ, not only were you declared, justified, declared, forgiven, declared part of the family of God, but he gave you this heart. You, you, Romans chapter 5, verse uh, 9 says, don't you know you've been justified? Have you ever heard that phrase? You've been justified in Christ. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've been made righteous. You've been justified. We Christians think if we can spell a word, that's all we need to do with it. It would help to understand what it means. And that word justify is the Greek word dikaios, and we sometimes translate it to justify, and sometimes we translate it to be made righteous. To be made righteous, placed in a right relationship with God, and to be justified, same thing. Actually, the word dikaios is a, a, or was an architectural term back in the Greek civilization. And all it meant was the relationship between two lines. If you were going to have blueprints and build a building, and you want to have a, a corner that was a right angle, then you connect two lines, and the moment they are at 90 degrees, they are in a right relationship. The lines are justified. They're dikaios. So the word means to be placed in a right relationship. So to be justified, to be made righteous with your heavenly Father... Well, what might be that relationship, the right relationship? Like I've said before, God's got all kinds of creatures. Dogs, cats, worms, pigs, and you, and me. And so God has a relationship of creator to creature. How does creature relate to creator? Well, either they're totally indifferent that they have a creator, or if they have enough consciousness to know there is a creator, then let's appease him. Let's have a whole lot of religions. Let's go ahead and do whatever we can do. Somehow so that we can appease, appease God. There's this creator. That's why so many Christians act like they've been baptized in pickle juice because it's all about this fear. And yet what he says is, no, 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 no. 
What is this relationship God has always wanted with those created in his own image, Genesis 1.27? Get a hint from the Trinity. First person of the Trinity. Second person of the Trinity. How do they describe their relationship? Batman and Robin, Mutt and Jeff, Tom and Jerry. It's father, son. Son, father. Every time Jesus came on this earth and he prayed... Other than one time, he quotes Psalm 22 and says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wow, Jesus is losing it. If you're losing it, you don't quote scripture, right? But every other, every other time, he says, Father. Even when the boy said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He says, okay, when you pray, let's get this straight. You begin your prayer with our Father. Not our Creator, our Father. That's why John 1.12 says, But as many as believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to them God gave them the authority to become the, what? Children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Don't you know the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ in you, bears witness with your spirit, your child of God. 2 Corinthians 6, he says, God says, I'll be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. So, why do we follow Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren? It's because we've been declared like in a courtroom. You've been declared, adopted. You're sons and daughters, and no longer is God merely your creator. He's now your heavenly father. So you relate to him as a child relates to their father. And God has placed his spirit with us, give us this desire to want to honor God as our heavenly father. Our problem is we don't have a clue how to do this because God's invisible. But there is the firstborn, the big brother, who actually twice from heaven heard God say once at his baptism and the other time at his transfiguration, he heard from heaven, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Second time he hears it, God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. For I am well pleased. So apparently Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in relationship to the Father, he has shown us exactly what the Heavenly Father is like and he honors the Father perfectly. Therefore, as we become like Christ, we're doing what we were created to be. That's why we were created bearing the image of God. Well, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. This is all about Christ-likeness. Glorifying our Father, making our invisible Father to the world made known by making known what His Son, the visible image of the invisible God, what His Son is like. But His Son is not on the earth anymore. But the Spirit of Christ resides in each and every one of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this fruit of the Spirit is all about what Jesus is like. That's why Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that you are not your own because you've been bought with a price. Then verse 20, he gives you the therefore. And the therefore is there for a reason. He says, therefore, glorify, there's the same word again in John 15, 8. Glorify God with your body. So somehow with this body, I'm to make my heavenly Father known and I have the Spirit of God in me who is the Spirit of Christ that will accomplish that, not by me flapping my lips telling everybody about Jesus. That's part of it is they're confused on what's going on. But what's going to cause them to take a second look is when they actually see the beauty of God the Father 
in his son being manifested in me through the fruit of the spirit. So this is all about in the, uh, what is Jesus like? Well, when in the gospels do you see what Jesus is like? Where in the gospels do you see Christ expressing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness? Kind of everywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see him all over the place doing it. But where do you see Jesus expressing the last on this list? Where do you see Jesus expressing self-control in the Gospels? What does that look like when Jesus does it? Is it at the temple when he makes a whip driving out the money changers because they were mocking a place of prayer? He was pretty ticked. Where's the self-control? Or do you see it in Mark 3 when the spiritual leaders basically glared at him because he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the text tells us, and Jesus looked back at them with anger. Where's the self-control? Or Matthew 23, when Jesus calls the scribes and the Pharisees, you snakes, vipers, you deserve hell. Jesus, how about a little self-control? Where's the self-control? Now, I, I guess we could imagine him incinerating all of them with his supernatural x-ray vision. But he doesn't, so maybe that was a little self-control. All right, look at Matthew 26. Whenever we're going to arrest and crucify him, scourge him. And he says, you know, Pilate, I could call down the angels of heaven and deliver myself and destroy all of you. And he chose not to do that. Maybe that was a little self-control. Or he could have done what Moses did, have God open up the ground, swallow the whole lot of them. But he didn't. Maybe that was a little self-control. But apparently, self-control is not about anger management. Well, then what is self-control as seen in Jesus Christ? This is all the description of Jesus Christ being made known. This word self-control is, is the Greek word ekratia. Agratia, better translated temperance, speaking of self-restraint that comes by surrendering to something or surrendering to someone. And that's why the question this morning is, on this good Palm Sunday, what's the temper? The temper, the emotion of temper in temperance. What are we restraining here? And who are we surrendering to or what are we surrendering to in this thing called self-control? Well, what are the three most important words in real estate? Location, location, location. Three most important words in Bible study. Context, context, context. And here's the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Chapter 5, he says this in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit... And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. This heart desire to honor God as your father. You, you got a problem going on here. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. For the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality. 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, on and on. A lot of bad stuff. But the fruit of the Spirit is something totally different. Paul is talking about walking in the flesh. Our human appetites. The me, myself, and I, the blessed trinity, the fact that I want to preserve myself. I'm number one. And my whole life is based on fear of, uh, and self-preservation. And yet, so therefore, I find my body doing all these other things that are just the opposite of what God is like. It ought to be embarrassing. When a child who has a loving father who's worth being honored, and that child will manifest the opposite Every single attribute of God, the opposite? We're to be embarrassing of ourselves. I mean, the best thing you do is don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Because they have a word. Came out of the Greeks called hypocriti. And it's the word hippo, hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody who says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a hypocrite. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. And so like we have this, where we say we're Christians, we're disciples of Christ, but we don't have a clue what that means, and so therefore we go ahead and let our flesh manifest its human appetites, its human fears, its human selfishness, and we embarrass God because we're sure not glorifying Him. We're showing the world some real confusion. Thus, self-control kicks in. Well, is the self-control kind of mastering our, our sensual appetites? Is it mastering our, our passions? Is it all about willpower, like going on a diet? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he says, you know, if there's anything you ever learned from me, take up my yoke and learn these two things, humility and gentleness. Humility is God, it's your will, not my will be done. Gentleness, it's any strength that I have Focus to be able to serve someone else and to honor the Father. There's no self-willpower going on here. And if I start embracing that this is all about self-willpower, I will will not to do these horrible things. Well, then that's all called, what is it called? Self-righteousness. Because it's not manifesting your Father. It's manifesting only one thing, your self-will. Did Jesus have anything to say about our self-willfulness? Even if it's Discipline and not eating as much and running and exercising and all those self-disciplines. It's all about self-control. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Remember he said, now take up your cross daily. Literally he, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now what does he mean? Deny yourself. Well, that's that self-will, self-discipline. Just force yourself to do the right thing. No. He says, deny yourself. It's deny your self-willfulness. Even though your self-willfulness might look like self-control and the mastery of your appetites, that's not. This is something produced by the Spirit, not something that comes out of your self-willfulness. Jesus says, deny your self-willfulness. How do you do that? Take up my cross. Now, what does it mean, take up my cross? I hear a lot of people say, oh, my, my husband's my cross. What a burden. I just carry that old lug on my shoulder all day, you know. No, it's not about a burden. Jesus knew what he meant by cross. When Jesus was about 12, 13 years old, he was living up north. 
up in Galilee, and, and some schmo decided he was going to take on Rome and declare himself a Messiah. He was a false Messiah. Rome got ticked, came down, destroyed the people, and then went on to take about, oh, hundreds, hundreds of young men, crucify them on a road there in Galilee, every 10 feet. And when they would stick these on, these crucified crosses, they're only about maybe 10 feet high. The guy's head would only be about six inches above your own. And you would walk right down into town in Galilee with the crucifixion. Jesus knew from a child what crucifixion meant. It meant something is put to death. So he says, deny yourself willfulness, put it to death. Now, how do you put it to death? He says, don't make it, don't overthink this. Follow me. Follow me. Well, what's he talking about? How easy could that be? Follow me. You know, most of the things we do every day, we don't even think about doing them. Psychologists talk about the subconscious. Bible talks about the heart, the inner man. I mean, just think about it. Uh, have you ever been walking down steps and you really thought about it and almost fell on your head? You just do it. 95% of everything we do every day, we do it from muscle memory, habit, whatever it might be, inner person, inner soul. We just do it. You only will, that is, think to choose to will about what 5% of everything you do every day. This has something to do with the soul, a change from within produced by the Spirit of God. You know what self-control is all about in this context? It's about one thing. It's what the word means. Surrender. Is about personal surrender to the Spirit of God. In other words, deny your self-willfulness, that self-will that you think is your self-control, that comes from outside and your discipline. Deny it. Put it to death by following Christ. How do you do that? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, another famous verse that we like to pull out of context in Ephesians chapter, does this sound negative? Am I chewing out on you? I'm sorry. I just don't get to come that often. So if I'm going to chew out, uh, I'm going to chew on you now. See, bad cop, good cop. John, Jamie's the good cop. I'm not, er, the bad cop. Here in Ephesians 5, you know the verse, so stop being drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We all know that verse. But again, that verse is in the middle of a paragraph. Let's go up to the beginning of the paragraph. Therefore, be careful, Paul says, how you walk. You're going to walk in the flesh? Whoa. Or you're going to walk in the spirit? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish. What's another word for foolish that starts with an S? Well, you can say stupid, but my mother would not let me say it. He says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Watch this. Understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, get this down. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. People talk about, well, I'm just bubbling up with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not a liquid. Do Christian midgets have as much Holy Spirit as you? Don't think of the Holy Spirit as a liquid. He's a person. He's not a force that's activated 
He's a person in this word filled by means controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. How am I controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit so the Spirit of Christ can manifest and make my Father known with this description of Jesus Christ? Here's the point. God empowers obedience. God empowers obedience. It, it, it comes down to, to, to this. When Jesus said, deny yourself willfulness, take up my cross, put the willfulness to death, how? By following me. What is this following me? Some of you don't know what hole I crawl, crawled out of, but some of you have been around for a long time when I was pastoring this church. Remember, I teach you from time to time the, the principle of blue dot, red dot. Anybody remember blue dot, red dot? Blue, red, blue, red. Red, red dot. Everybody think about a red dot. Why don't you think red? Big round red dot. Get a big, be think, come on, think, think red dot. Got it? Got your mind? Think red, red dot. Now, I want you to not think red dot. So right there, said to go, okay, I'm not going to think red dot. No red dot. I'm not thinking red. No, I'm not going to think of red. Meanwhile, what can I not get off my mind? Red. I sold grasshopper. But you want to know how you stop thinking about red dot? Start thinking blue dot. Because if I'm thinking blue, I'm not going to be thinking red. If I want to deny myself willfulness, put it to death, stop thinking red. If I spend all my time, I am not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to commit adultery and fornication. I'm not going to be disputous. I, I'm not going to do all these horrible things of the flesh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And guess what I'm always thinking about? All the not stuff I'm supposed to do. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. I'm Christian. <laughs> How does that manifest the beauty of God when the world sees us as just a bunch of people who are so paranoid about doing anything bad? No, no, that's all red. Stop thinking red. Think blue. And what is blue? Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Don't you love eclairs? <laughs> I, I, I tell you, God had to have created eclairs. I mean, come on. You, know, you got that dough, and then you got the chocolate top, and then you got the cream, and you bite, and had a little hole to squirt it out with your friend. Just all oh, eclairs. So, so what do you do if you're trying to lose 20 pounds? Well, I, I, what I do is I go and I, I buy a couple eclairs, put them in a little pink box, have them tied. I have them put a double knot, double knot on the string. Then I put the eclairs right in front of me on the table and I sit there. I will not touch those eclairs. That's what the Bible calls stupid. <laughs> Foolish. Daryl, how about thinking about blue instead of thinking about red? Because if all I'm thinking about is all the stuff I shouldn't do would be self-controlled, then you're always going to have the walk of the flesh on your mind. And your life's just going to be one life of defense. And God hasn't called us to a life of defense because all it means is we're all absorbed with ourselves. But I'm going to be absorbed in love and recognize the worth of others selflessly. That's only when I'm thinking blue. Because I'm thinking blue, I'm not thinking red. And what's the blue? I'm just thinking about one thing. I'm a child of God. I, I, I'm a branch connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. And the vine is producing through me, the branch, 
fruit, which is Christ-likeness. Why? So the world can get a good look at my heavenly Father, who's invisible, but made visible through his Son. But the Spirit of his Son has been placed within me. And therefore, as the vine is in me and I am a branch, I glorify my Father by manifesting fruit and bearing more fruit. And what's the fruit? It's a description of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that is why I was created. That's why he says, therefore your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. Comes down to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, Paul says, I'm begging you. Once and for all, it's an aorist tense in the Greek. Once and for all, make up your mind to present your body, soma, your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable worship. Aren't you glad it's a living sacrifice? But that's what we do with our lives. And so, when people watch me, they don't need to listen to me babbling my little lips about how much I love Jesus, how much Jesus is so wonderful, this is so great, and they just keep looking at you like, what's wrong with you? But they actually watch your life. And it begins with love. And the anchor is self-control because all self-control is, Lord, I surrender myself only to think about blue. I surrender myself only to think about one thing, not what I ought not to be doing, red, but how do I honor God as my father? And here's the kicker. If that one thing is on my mind, I get up in the morning, God, how do I honor you this day as my heavenly father? How am I pleasing to you today in everything I do as my heavenly father? That's all I'm thinking about. But you know what everybody sees when they're watching me when I'm thinking about that one thing? They see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. They're seeing the invisible God because they're seeing his son, the vine, manifested through you. And so self-control is the anchor that makes it all happen. Absolute surrender. Lord, I'm just going to think about blue. How do I honor you? And God empowers obedience, and that self-control is produced by the Spirit of God so everybody around you sees where they see Christ. And that's what you're all about. So I close with this. And with joy, they waved branches of palms, celebrating our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, you have redeemed us. This holy week, we're going to be reflecting on the fact that you took upon your own son and poured our judgment upon him. And all we have to do is own up and tell the truth about ourselves that we're sinners, that we live to walk in the flesh. It's as natural to us as our birth. But Father, when we look at it, we know there's something wrong. We're broken. And then we see Jesus Christ. And we see you, our creator, and you want to be our heavenly father. 
And so, Father, I pray it would be any one of us who still are not owning up to our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness, we would get it done now. Father, we're sinners. You provided for our forgiveness in the death of your son. Father, we're asking, I'm asking you to forgive my sinfulness. And may you plant your spirit within me. Pull out that heart of stone that makes me walk in the flesh and live in the red and always thinking about the red. That I might be freed up to just think blue. How to honor you as my father. That the world might see that that self-control produced by you within me causes them to get a good look at the beauty of their creator. Father, this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. amen. Happy Palm Sunday.